We greet you in the name of the Lord one more time. It's uh, encouraging to see the amount of visitors and the house so well filled, and that's always an inspiration. All right, we've been uh, bringing a message, a series of messages this week on the Sermon on the Mount. We've been looking at the life of kingdom people, and this morning we're going to be looking at Matthew 7, verses 1 to 12. And I have entitled the message this morning, Kingdom People and Interpersonal Relations. Uh, A text would be uh, verse 12. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, so, so do you, so ye even do ye so, so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And so we believe that this is an important foundation upon which to build interpersonal relationships is the golden rule. And that does come out, that truth does come out repeatedly in the, in, the, in the Beatitudes. It comes out in the Sermon of the Mount. Uh, it is implied several times. And so Jesus is again dealing with attitudes. And as, as we know, uh, attitudes sooner or later flesh themselves out into actions. And so that's why it's important that uh, we have uh, attitudes that be or that we have the character traits as Jesus laid out for us in the first uh, few verses, the first uh, 12 verses of of chapter 5. I've been divided my points this way this morning. In verses 1 to 6, I'm going to be looking at censorious attitudes. And in verses 7 to 12, prayerful attitudes. Let's first of all look at censorial uh, attitudes, verses 1 to 6 of chapter 7. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and rend you. The first uh, phrase that catches our attention there in verse 1, it says, judge not. The original word here doesn't mean that we are not discerning. Uh, We're not discerning maybe of the character of others, that is not what it should be. But rather, it's more of a critical disposition, a condemning disposition to judicially or mentally process in our mind or decide in our mind that another is, is damned or is cursed or, or deserves punishment to have a predetermined attitude. So the command here clearly from our Lord is, judge not. And, and again, uh, I need to point out to you that, that the, the command is so clear and so concise. Uh, 
It's simple to understand if we want to. And so it's a simple, clear commandment. It just simply means don't do it. And as I had, I said uh, several times before this week, there are some, there are some commands we find in the Beatitudes that, that I really don't know how to enhance on because they're, they're, or to define anymore because they're so plain, they're so understandable. And so again, uh, Jesus says, judge not, don't do it. And there's other scripture that, that supports this, uh, this teaching as well. Uh, in Romans chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherever thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou judgest, thou that judgest do the same things. Paul had to remind the Jews of their condemning attitude towards others. And, and their life was not free of of their own peculiarities and sin, and yet they, they put themselves in a place of judgment. Also in Romans uh, 14, verse 4, Romans 14, 4, Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. That simply alerts us to the fact that, that uh, every individual stands accountable to their God. And, and we do not have the prerogative to take upon ourselves uh, their spiritual status and, and, and the destiny of, of that spiritual status. That's, that's something that's for God. Uh, verse 13 of the same chapter, let us, therefore, let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. And so our... The, 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 the zeal, the ambition of our life is to judge ourselves, to make sure that we're not a stumbling block or a hindrance to someone else. Also, James chapter 4, verse 12. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? By what authority do we have to judge another? Do we have that authority? Do we have that privilege? No, we don't. It's clear that, that, that uh, this matter of a judicial condemnation is, is, belongs to God only. And that, that's why we, the Romans 13, that's why we don't take vengeance on our fellow man when, when he does things towards us that we don't like because God, God is the final judge. We, we surrender those things to him. And so God is the only one that can can correctly judge the motives of people and never be wrong. Uh, we, we're just simply not on. A, we're just simply not able to do that. Uh, Romans two eleven tells us that there is no respect of persons with God, and and even that we're unable to do, because all of us come from a background somewhere that has some biases that have affected us. And they continue to affect us. And, and, and we can't get away from that reality. We must be honest with ourselves that all of us are tainted with some type of biases from our background, from our Freundschaft, or, or wherever. We need, to, we need to recognize that. And so man is affected by his own biased opinion. It affects our attitude, affects our agitate, uh, actions. Uh, but man, So man is prejudiced prejudiced and God is not. To be prejudiced is to base our thinking 
on preconceived ideas or prior information. Not that there's necessarily, that that is necessarily always wrong, but to be prejudiced simply means to prejudge, to predetermine how we feel about a person's spiritual life. And how often, how often has it been that our preconceived ideas have been wrong? How often has it been that our first impressions of someone was wrong? Uh, after we went to our courtship for a while, my wife told me something uh, that I can laugh about now. I wasn't sure how to take it at that point. But she said to me, that my first impression of you was not very positive. And uh, it was somewhat startling, but our relationship was far enough along that it didn't upset the apple cart. But how often does that happen? We, we have a first impressions of people that many times are incorrect. And, and that alerts us to the fact that we have the potential to be prejudiced. I believe there's a difference between being prejudiced and to discern. A character of prejudice is, tends to be unreasonable, uh, critical, condemning, quick and impulsive, uh, oft-time doesn't have time to listen, and sometimes, unfortunately, won't even change their minds after the truth is presented. That's dangerous. Someone once said that prejudice is to be down on, on that which we're not up on. And I believe there's a lot of truth to that. Prejudice also, or, the, or the, the character of discernment, however, is patient, kind, understanding, wise, slow, deliberate, sure, listens a lot. Those are, those are character traits that I believe are good to develop if we're going to have healthy interpersonal relationships with others. Going back to verse 2, For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Again, here we see the divine principle of the law of sowing and reaping. What a man sows, that shall he also reap. What we dish out will boomerang. It will come back. And as I said earlier, the birds do come home to roost. It's a reality. It's a fact of life that we need to reckon with. And you know, the older we grow, the more we realize that because sometimes, sometimes the misjudgments of our youth boomerang and we have to face it 40 years later. And those experiences sometimes can be very humiliating. So we need to, we need to be, recognize this principle. Verse 3, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? You know, here is the, the whole matter of personal inconsistency in problem solving. All of us have had the experiences or do have the experiences of working out interpersonal issues, whether it's in the church or in the family or the neighborhood or at the workplace. Uh, sooner or later, we all will get those opportunities. They do come our way. And it is important that we're, that we're personally consistent if we're going to be effective in helping others. 
he talks here about a moat. A moat is a little splinter. It's small and trivial. A beam, however, is, is a log. It's large, offensive, and noticeable. And this simply alerts us to the fact that there is a human tendency to be blind to our own sins. We, we tend not to notice our own shortcomings as quickly as we do others. As a matter of fact, we tend to notice the little splinters a whole lot quicker than the big logs in our own life. Just a few examples. I like to make it practical. Uh, sometimes we preachers and parents like to talk to our youth about their sporty cars that they drive and uh, the testimony it leaves. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's not a legitimate thing to think about. However, those of us who are concerned about that fail to recognize that maybe our own residences violate what we'd like to communicate to them. What about the sporty, in quotes, appearance of our residence? Is that a good testimony? I'm just thinking outside of the box. Uh, there's probably other applications we could make. Uh, the whole matter about being critical about other people's recreation, and yet we will have our own pet recreation that you better not talk about. Those are, those are things that we need to evaluate in our lives. Those are things that cause us to be ineffective in our interpersonal communications with others. What motivates people to be critical? I'm afraid that many times it is sin in their own lives. Uh, maybe it's a smoke screen. I remember a particular person that tended to be just super critical about everything. And as a young minister, I, I, I just couldn't understand. It took me quite a few years to understand that it was all smokescreen. And so we need to be careful. You see, there is this tendency of wanting to put up this smokescreen to hide the things in my life by drawing attention to others. What is our motivation? We're being judgmental when we do that. We're not considering the beam in our own eye. Verse 4, And how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the moat out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. How can we be physicians to others when we ourselves aren't doing so well? It becomes difficult for us to minister to our, those around us. As a matter of fact, we're going to be unable to be objective in all areas of life because our vision has been blotted out in a certain portion of our own life. We can't even draw, you know, if you think about it from a practical point of view, a log in your eye versus a splinter in your eye, you know, just supposing for a minute that this is literal, uh, you couldn't even draw close to anyone with a log in your eye. I mean, you just couldn't get close to them. But isn't that true spiritually? That if we have a spiritual log in our eye and our brother or sister has a spiritual splinter in their eye, we can't draw close to them. It, it prevents us from building relationships. 
Interpersonal relations, relationships deteriorate when inconsistent people become involved in problem solving, especially people who have some glaring sins. Verse 5, thou hypocrite, or thou play actor, we could say, is the original thought there. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye. A person who is more critical of others than he is of himself, especially if there are inconsistencies in his life, if there are sins in his life, is a hypocrite. A critical person with sin in their life many times creates more problems than he is able to solve, especially true in interpersonal relationships. A quotation that I came across, which kind of startling, but I believe there is an element of truth to it, says this, critical, suspicious people are trouble with a capital T. They sooner or later will wreck a church. And so Jesus wants us to examine our attitudes again as we look in the Sermon of the Mount. Now, if we do find an inconsistency in our lives, if we're aware of a shortcoming, of a sin, does that mean that I shouldn't talk to my brother, sister? Does that mean I should back away and pretend I didn't notice? No, that's not what's being implied. It says, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye. We cannot be relieved of the obligations to, to, we have to our brother and our sister just because there's an inconsistency in our own lives. However, the responsibility lays upon us to deal with that problem in our own personal lives. And then we'll be able to help others. It's always good to remember, there I am but for the grace of God. Always good to remember that. Latter part of verse 5. And then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. See clearly. When we deal with our own inconsistencies, then we're able to have a full, clear vision and understanding to help counsel my brother and my sister. And so the qualification to help others is to deal adequately with our own shortcomings and our own failures. The emphasis is on the removal of the moat. Interpersonal help and counseling to others. We're to zero in on the moat. We're not zeroing in on the personality. And sometimes it becomes difficult for us to see the problem apart from the person. And we need to be careful. In verse 16, jumping ahead a little bit, it says, Ye shall know them by their fruits. We may be fruit inspectors, but we have no right to cut down the tree. We do need to discern, but we cannot condemn. Our calling is not to be doctrinal detectives, heresy hunters, or self-appointed spies. That's not our calling. Verse 6, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, 
lest ye trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. I believe this verse here alerts us to the fact that we need to use discernment on who, when, and how to present truth. It requires a lot of discernment. I believe here we see the stewardship of truth. How do we handle the truth of the Word of God? Do we handle it as a weapon? Or do we handle it and present it as a source of inspiration that the Holy Spirit can, can, can use? If we're to be good stewards of the truth of the Word of God, we must be like a caring surgeon, a loving doctor, because if we fail to come through that way, the truth is going to end up being blasphemed. And so this verse implies to us and teaches us and shows that correction and reproof are unwise to an evil person, a person who is ungodly. There is a wise way we have interpersonal relationships with them, lest they rend your, the truth, lest they rip it apart, they rip apart the, the truth. So discernment on our part becomes very urgent, lest we create a rent even further in interpersonal relationships, cause that person not only to turn against us, but to turn against God. And that's certainly not what we, what we, what we want. And so our zeal always needs to be sanctified in, in presenting the truth to those whom we interact with. Our, ze our zeal against sin must be guided by the Holy Spirit and directed by the Holy Spirit. We cut off our opportunities to be people helpers when we jump on every sin that they commit. It doesn't mean it's not serious, but we don't just jump on, on them the first opportunity we get when they fail or when they sin. If we lose our opportunity to communicate because of our attitude, at that point, we have become poor stewards of the truth. A haughty attitude will seriously jeopardize our ability to be disciples, our ability to build healthy interpersonal relationships. All right, the second point I'd like to look at is more positive, prayerful attitudes in verses 7 to 12. And we notice the difference that it can make in interpersonal relationships. Verse 7, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. At first glance, it appears to refer to, to prayer only. However, we find these verses sandwiched between attitudes towards others and sensing needs of others. Later on in the this chapter, it talks about sensing the needs of others. And so this verse here is important. This verse reflects our attitude towards God. It reflects trust. We talked about trust last evening. Prayer reflects trust. When we ask, means to, to beg of God. And when we beg of God, we're we're acknowledging that we're a beggar 
We're acknowledging that we don't have what it takes to face the issues of life. And, and we come to him in a humble way. You know, one of, one of the things you don't see on city streets is humble is, uh, is proud beggars. They, they don't enjoy doing that. They, they, they do it humbly. Uh, and likewise, that's how we approach our Heavenly Father in a sense of humility and admission, an admission that we don't always have what it takes. And so we come and we ask, we seek, we knock. That certainly becomes a challenge as we think about ministering to others. Seek means to attempt to locate and search. We come to God and ask him for direction. So someone who searches is open to direction, open to the Holy Spirit, an attitude of being ready to receive instruction from a higher source, from our Heavenly Father. We, we notice the word knock. To knock is, is, uh, typifies a, an attitude of, of reverence, an attitude of respect. You know, someone who walks into your front door without knocking doesn't respect you. I make, I make exceptions for the children. Uh, I don't expect my children to, to knock on the door when they come home. They're, they're welcome to barge in any door at any time, any day of the week. But typically, visitors respect the house they're going to, and so they knock. There's a sense of reverence, and that's how we approach God. So we manifest that attitude towards God, but we also need to have the same attitude of respect for our fellow humans, because they are created, created beings. They are created by God, and we respect them for their personhood. Our relationships with others, I believe, is a is a barometer of our attitude towards God. If we have a disrespect for our fellow man, regardless of who it is, it says something about our relationship with God. We have a responsibility as kingdom people to develop the characteristics of God and allow that sense of reverence to permeate our lives. And that then will enable us to be people helpers. Hebrews 12, 14, it says, Follow peace with all men, without which no man shall see the Lord. And so we have a great responsibility. Verse 8, For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and he that knocketh it shall be open to. Here we see success in prayer. And success in prayer is directly related to our attitude towards God. Also our success in prayer is indirectly related to our attitude towards people. What's your prayer life like? Is it vibrant? Are you experiencing answer to prayer? If not, why not? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, gives us a little bit of a clue. Uh, 1 Peter 3, 7, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, I know this is talking about the husband and wife relationship, but I think we would concede to the fact that that is true in all interpersonal relationships. Where there is tension, where there is difficult, where there is lack of respect in trying to understand each other, there are hindrances to prayer. There are hindrances to prayer. 
And so the secret of improving our attitude towards others, I believe, is to pray for them. It works. It really does. You know, there, there's just something about when we pray for those people that we like a little less. It's just amazing what that can do to our attitude. The highest blessings of life depend on the simplest conditions, and that is to ask, seek, and find. The depth of our prayer life and the breadth of our interpersonal relationships, I believe, are related. They are connected. If there's a lack of prayerful attitudes, it's going to limit our friendships. It's going to limit our ability to relate to others. Verse 9, Or what man is there of you whom, of his, whom if his son asks bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will give him a serpent? Are we realistic about the needs of others? Or have we preconceived ideas as to what they ought to have and what they ought to receive and what we ought to give them? Have we tried walking in their shoes for a mile? Have we tried to wear their sandals in life issues? And I recognize there are some things we can never walk in other people's shoes. I understand that. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to understand. We shouldn't try to grasp what it must be like. Or do we judge them? Do we come to quick conclusions as to why they're having the problems they're having? Do we, do we withhold from them that which they ought to have in order to encourage them along life's highway, whether that's something tangible or intangible? Jesus here is talking about tangible things. But I believe there's a spiritual application to these tangible things that he's talking about. He's talking about bread and fish. Now, bread and fish are, are very digestible. Matter of fact, I had fish at Brother Amos' house the other day, and I can enjoy panfish any day. Uh, but fish and bread are digestible. But stones and serpents are indigestible. And so do we give the wavered, the sin-sick, the weary, something that's digestible in our interpersonal relationships? Or do we give them the hard, uh, the hard stones and the cold serpents of shape up or else? If you'd work, you could eat, repent, or go to hell. Now, all of those things are true, but they're not digestible. They're not digestible. And when we have attitudes like that, we cut off the very people we'd like to help. And unfortunately, some people don't even realize what they've done. Interpersonal relationships. When we give these types of things to people, they're not done with a prayerful attitude. We may be ever so right. We may be ever so right with what we say in presenting the truth. But if our attitude is not prayerful, we won't be heard. Oh, you'll, you, they'll hear what you said, but the Holy Spirit can't use it to reach the heart because you have stirred up some emotions that prevent your truth from being digestible. That's a challenge, isn't it? This comes down to the nitty-gritty of life. This comes down 
to relating to our brothers and our sisters. It comes down to relating to our family. It's a tremendous challenge. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, this is verse 11, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? There is a direct relationship between interpersonal relations and the blessings from God. He wants to bless us. Verse 12, Therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do you even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Again, talking about the golden rule. We notice the word therefore, and I pointed out earlier this week, whenever you see the word therefore, you check to see what it's there for. It's a link word. And so verse 12 is, is, is the, the practical application of verses 1 uh, to 11. It is the secret to interpersonal relationships. To, be, to do unto others as we would like to have done to you. We approach others like we would like to be approached. It is the secret of meaningful congregational life. Can we conclude from this verse that if we're not treated nicely, that it may be an indicator of how we've been treating others. I don't think it would be a stretch to read that into it. If, we're, if we expect someone to smile at us on a Sunday morning, then by all means be the first one to smile, or at least be quick to smile if the other one smiles. You know, what we give comes back. What we, what we withhold gets withheld. I mean, it's just, that's just the way it is. Are you going to go out of your way to be friendly and to help others? And if you fail to do that, don't, don't expect them. Be realistic enough to realize that you shouldn't expect them to come to you when there's a desire to talk, to pray with someone unburden. Be realistic. If you're not going to give the other person the, the benefit of the doubt, don't expect to receive the benefit of the doubt when you need it. We need to have a healthy disposition. And brothers and sisters, I believe based on the truth of this word that those healthy dispositions are reciprocal. They come back. God wants to bless us that way. He wants to bless us with good, healthy, interpersonal relationships. Treat others how you would like to be treated. And you will discover that friendliness begets friendliness. You will discover that healthy counsel begets healthy counsel. You will discover that love begets love. And compassion begets compassion. And simply put, you want to be a friend? If you want friends, be a friend. Be that person that God can use to help others. Again, notice the latter part of verse 12. For this is the law and the prophets. This is the heartbeat of the gospel. This is the gospel in everyday shoe leather. This is indeed true religion. And so, as kingdom people, our attitude toward God and our attitude towards others cannot be divorced. They go together. When we fail to consider the golden rule, 
we tend to become egocentric because we're zeroing in on ourselves. We're zeroing in on the big I. And interpersonal relationships degenerate. People will shrink back from us. And so I would challenge you in conclusion, brothers and sisters, let this portion of Scripture be a guideline in helping you to develop interpersonal relationships, to be a guideline in helping to, in, in aiding you to be an effective people helper. And so may God bless the truth of the word of the Lord in our lives in a practical way. I'm not going to give an invitation this morning, but I would pray that we would take the truth of Jesus and dare and dare to make application. There's going to be blessing there that is going to be beyond what you would dream. All right, let's stand for, for a closing prayer. I'm going to ask Brother Nelson Bowman to lead us in prayer and then ask the song leader to lead us in a song and then be dismissed. Let's stand. <laughs>